So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And, you know, generally we're expositional. We teach uh, verse by verse through, you know, a chapter. But this week, I'm going to let you guys do your own expositional study on chapter 10 because it's a lot of Proverbs. And so you can just go through and kind of uh, zero in on some of those Proverbs and just kind of see what God is saying to you. I am going to go right in the middle and we're going to look at uh, verses 10 through 13 and we're going to kind of uh, laser focus on those three verses and just um, I got a sermon based on those verses for today. So that's what we're going to do. All right, so let's pray and start studying. Father, I thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and gentleness, Lord, when we... Um, when we maybe expect you to be harsh, you're always so gentle. And Lord, we pray for those who are hurting today, that are going through things in their hearts and um, maybe even their minds that are really tough. Uh, we pray for uh, Wendy, who uh, experienced a great loss in her life this week and um, for the funeral that was yesterday. And uh, God, I pray that you would comfort her and, um, and be with her family out of New York. Uh, God, we pray that you would help us to know uh, that you are near to us in every circumstance and season of life, and uh, teach us wisdom this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, today's Bible study is called Live Smarter, Not Harder, or Stop Headbanging for Jesus, and you can choose which title you like better. Headbanging, you like that one better? Okay. Jesus has decided. That is now our title. Do you want to bang your head against a wall? Uh, boy, is that an easy question to answer. Nobody uh, likes to bang their head against a wall. Obviously not. You know, for, for nearly 2,000 years, uh, the only way to really connect with God was through his law, uh, the old covenant of law. God gave that to Moses you know, nearly 4,000 years ago now, but for a stretch of almost a little over 2,000 years, that was the only way to really connect with God. And it was a lot like people banging their head against a wall, a stone-cold wall. Those Ten Commandments uh, that God gave Moses, you know, a little over 4,000 years ago. You guys know those Ten Commandments, don't you? Let's play a game. Who can name one of those commandments? And we'll see. Do you guys think you could get all Ten Commandments? You guys think you know? All right, let's see. Go. Someone shout. No stealing? All right. That's number eight, okay? Okay. Did you read that or you have it memorized? Yes, that is number one. Good job. All right, we got number one. Yes. Do not murder. That's number six. Okay, the Sabbath day, that's number four. No other gods, so that's the same as number one. Okay, covet, that's number 10. Don't covet. Don't lie, that's number nine. Okay, so don't commit adultery, that's number seven. Honor your father and mother is number five. What? Okay, no idols or graven images, that's number two. And that's number three. There you go. That was the last one. You guys got them all? Good job. 
You, okay, everyone gets 32 Jesus points. 32. I just made that up, yeah. How did they bang their heads on these tablets, you ask? Good question. Failure. Failure. That's how these Ten Commandments are like banging your head against a wall. Every person who has ever lived in our world has failed to measure up to those Ten Commandments. You know, that's a perfect standard. If you were to follow those Ten Commandments, that is what God designed every human to be. That's, that's what a human was supposed to be. We were created to have no other God except God. We were created to honor his name. That's why we were made. And so when we don't do those things, we're actually falling short of what we were created for. It's like rooting for a football team that's not the Broncos. It's like you're just falling short of what you could be as a football fan, right? <laughs> so every person has, has failed to measure up to this glorious standard. But that doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with those Ten Commandments. The problem is with us. We just keep banging our head against these tablets in our quest to be righteous, in our quest to be right with God, in our quest to do and to be what we were created to do. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay, so we're talking about the law here, and he says, no one who ever tries to keep the law is going to ever get it right. And the law can do one thing for you. Really, it's really good at doing this one thing. It can give you a knowledge of sin. In other words, it can help you know what a dirty, rotten person you are. That's what the Ten Commandments are really good for. So let's put them outside of every library and every... Yeah, that's a weird thing. The Ten Commandments are good for that, to help us to know how much we've failed. We've been banging our head against the wall. The law was not made to save us. It can't save us. That's what that verse said. The law was not made even to change us. Do you know what happens in so many churches? So many Christians, they become a Christian. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Then they wake up the next day and say, what do I do? And someone comes along and says, you know what you do? You take a big fat picture of these Ten Commandments and slap it up in your wall. And you do your best to follow all those Ten Commandments. And somehow you change magically. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says those Ten Commandments cannot change you. They only ever shout, you have failed. You don't measure up. That's what these Ten Commandments do. God has provided something different for us, another way. It's, it's actually very helpful what the law does. It's helpful to know that we fail uh, or else we get this prideful attitude like, I am great, I am perfect, and I don't need anything. But the law humbles us and helps us to know, wow, I really need a Savior because I have violated these Ten Commandments. And it points us to another way, a 
smarter way, or we're going to call it this morning a sharper way, a sharper way. And this new way is called the new covenant, which is a better covenant, a better agreement with God. It's called the covenant of grace. What is that? I've never heard of such a thing. I hope you have heard of grace. Have you heard of grace? Yeah. In our church, we talk about it all the time, right? Guess what? We're going to talk about it again today because it's amazing. And it's completely different than the Ten Commandments of the law. What is grace? It's, it's the free, unearned, undeserved help and favor of God. Look at the screens right now. It's going to show grace and an acrostic of what grace, what, how you can think and remember what grace is. It says, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. God wants to give you his riches, but you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. He wants to give it to you, and Jesus wants to pay the bill. Okay, Or you can look over at our poster over here of what grace is, the definition of grace that we work with that I think is pretty thorough. It says, it's God's free provision through his son, Jesus, as we humbly trust in the person and work of his son. Jesus generously gives us all that we need, yearn for, and all that we're commanded to walk in and become. We could never deserve, earn, or produce this grace on our own. See, grace is a lot more than just forgiving you of your sins. Although that's great, mighty, wonderful, and if if that's all it was, it would be the greatest thing in this entire world. You could be forgiven of your sins, but it goes so much further than that because he he promises a transformational life and love, and adoption, and acceptance that we could never earn or deserve on our own. Instead of banging our head against the stone tablets of law, we have been invited to live in the pleasant and life-giving garden of God's love and blessing, and that's called grace. It produces and reproduces his life and fruit in us through a living and abiding relationship with God. You don't have to follow the rules. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to do anything. These things are given to you through his son, Jesus. So we're going to see these different words like trying and abiding. Okay. The word trying, when you're thinking about, I'm going to try to be a good Christian, that that is actually the wrong way to go because that's, that's saying it depends on me. I need to try to be better, to earn or deserve what God is doing in my life. And that's, that's a, a works-based thing, a law-based thing. If you keep my law, then I'll be nice to you. That's that mentality. But abiding is what grace does. Abiding says, I am just going to believe in what God has done for me, what Jesus has done for me, and I'm going to keep believing it. I'm going to rest in what he did for me. 
So self-sourced efforts, that's a law thing. And spirit-produced fruit, that's a grace thing. Okay? You can go two ways of becoming a good person, you could say. You can try really hard, or you can have the life of Jesus produce fruit in your life. Now, let's say you try really, really hard to be a good person, and you succeed. Who gets the credit for your success? Me. That's right. And that, that truth in and of itself proves you know, it, it's taking credit away from God. It's, it's not glorifying God. Even doing the right thing, if it's not done his way, still doesn't glorify God. So he has provided a new way, a better way. It's called grace, and that's what he wants us to do. And it's actually smarter, and we're going to say today it's sharper, okay? I'm going to tell you why. So we're going to dive into our text in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and learn how to live smarter, not harder or stop banging our head for Jesus. Uh, So in chapter 10, verse 10, it says, if the ax is dull and one does not sharpen the edge, then he must use more strength, but wisdom brings success. So do you see in there, it's like work smarter, not harder, right? If you're chopping down a tree with a hammer, that's really dumb right? You're going to have to use a lot of strength because it's dull. Or if your ax is dull, it is, it's, it's like banging your head against a wall. It's not going to accomplish what you need. You need to sharpen your ax. And that's what we're going to, that's what we're learning is that we need to learn and live our Christian life by grace, walk in grace, speak with grace, because it's more wise than trying to do it all yourself, When God is saying, let me help you, and you're like, no, I got this. He's like, no, you don't. You can't do it on your own. But I'm here for you. I love you. Let's do this together. It is way smarter. You don't have to prove yourself to God. A lot of people think that being a Christian means, okay, I got to prove myself to God in order for God to love me or accept me. You would, have to, you would have to have a lot of strength to prove yourself to God. Did you know that? Uh, in fact, to prove yourself to God, you would have to keep those Ten Commandments perfectly for your whole life. That's the standard. Anything short of that doesn't, doesn't measure up. So with wisdom, he says, bring success. So it's by grace that we will learn or that we will receive the strength that God wants to give us. Then it says this. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. Okay, here's a proverb, and let me rephrase it for you. Just be careful of poisonous snakes, right? Uh, These, I think, we could think of as ideas that come from Satan, ideas that are not, not right. They can bite our lives if we're not careful. So just a thought, just an idea of how things work with God, Satan wants to plant in your head this idea, your life depends on you. Your success with God depends on how hard you try, how much you pray, how much you read the Bible. If you get up and you read for 30 minutes this morning, God will surely be impressed with you. 
That's, that's what the enemy wants to plant in our mind. Because if we buy into that and we say, okay, God is looking for me to prove myself to him, then your whole life is going to be about what you are doing. And forgotten will be what Jesus has done for you. Okay? But if we are careful, he's saying, be careful what you let into your mind. We should let Jesus and his gospel be the only thing that we put our trust in, our hope in, and, uh, and the only thing that we are concerned about. Uh, when you babble, when you speak, you reveal who you really are. You reveal what's in your heart. What's in your heart eventually comes out of your mouth. Did you know that? Of course. You will be able to tell if you have been bitten by the snake of self-sufficiency, of religious law-keeping, of fruitless legalism, by the things that eventually come out of your mouth. Oh, God's not, he's, he's expecting me. I got to be better. I got to be better. You've been bitten by the snake. The gospel says you don't have to be better. The gospel says you are accepted now. The gospel says all you have to do is turn to Christ and all your sin is forgiven. The gospel says he will give you his spirit. Now you do not need to be better. He will transform you with his own power. We're going to talk about our words today and how uh, we can speak grace to people who need to hear it because the next part of our, our verse says, the words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. Or other translations say he, you'll be destroyed by the lips of a fool. The, the words of his mouth begin with foolishness and in the end of his talk is raving madness. So Solomon here, he says that it's more wise to speak words of grace. It's a better strategy, and it's foolish to use words that are not. We're going to say that those words are self-sourced righteousness, self-sourced efforts. What can I do to please God? And he says it will really destroy the good that you wanted to do or to see in your own life if, you, if you're trusting in self. And he says it's just plain crazy as a hat stand. It's just crazy to do that. Pop quiz. Who is the most wise? Who is the wisest of them all? Right. Jesus. Ten Jesus points for you. It's pretty much always the answer in church, right? Jesus. Good job. So let's look at how Jesus, how he puts this into practice for us. Let's start in the Old Testament in a prophecy about Jesus, you know, because God knew he was going to send Jesus. Jesus was existed before he was born as a human. And in Psalm 40, it's a, it's a um, messianic psalm, which means it's a psalm that was written about Jesus before Jesus ever was born. But it's him, and it's, it's things that he would think, and things that he, it's a prophecy. What he would do and what he would think, it's, it's his voice actually speaking these things. So he says in Psalm 40, verse 9, he says, I have proclaimed the good news. Jesus speaking. This is the voice of the Messiah speaking. I have proclaimed the good news. What's another word for good news? Gospel. Same word in Greek 
gospel, the good news. We can also call it the good news or the gospel of grace. Jesus says, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness, how someone, how anyone can be righteous with God before God um, in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. That word loving kindness, really cool word, ancient word. It also is an Old Testament equivalent of the word grace in the New Testament. So every time you see the word loving kindness, you can equate that in your mind to grace. So here's Jesus, you know, in, this is what inspired him. This was his mission, his life laid out before he ever lived so that we could know it was him when he eventually showed up. This is what he would do and he would bring. And he, was, he says he would be speaking, speaking about the good news of grace to the world that he loved. That's how we would know it was Jesus. And when Jesus came, that's exactly what he did. He gave the good news of the gospel, the gospel of grace. And then there was a word righteousness several times. The word righteousness. God gives us righteousness that we did not have and that we could not get. Remember those Ten Commandments? They yell at us and say, you are not righteous. You are not righteous. And God says, I know you're not righteous, but here, have righteousness. As a free gift, a free gift to undeserved people. He said, I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. He's talking to his father. It's, it, it, God is so faithful to save us with this free gift of righteousness. Now, righteousness can have two aspects in our life. The first is the righteousness of our standing before God, or the big theology word is justification. God gives us righteousness in our standing before him. And that's what happens when you first believe in Jesus. You are justified, which means it is just as if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees you. That is who you really are. You are justified. And that's beginning a relationship with God. That's our standing before God. Jesus gives us that righteousness for free. But there is an additional kind of righteousness. And the additional kind is the daily, everyday, uh, moment by moment, practical righteousness that needs to show up in our lives. Our lives need to be transformed from uh, lives that dishonor God to lives that obey him and honor him. And he gives us that kind of righteousness also as a free gift. But that's the kind that's so misunderstood so much in church and just commonly among people. People think, okay, Jesus will save me, but it's up to me to transform myself to become a better Christian. And it is such a freeing thing when we learn that the transformation is also included in the salvation and faithfulness of God through what Jesus did for us. 
So Jesus says, I have not concealed your loving kindness, your grace. There's that word again, loving kindness, and your truth from the great assembly. Loving kindness and truth, grace and truth. There's another verse that this just, we have to look at, John 1.14, when Jesus, it says about him, the word, that's another name for Jesus, the word became flesh, so Jesus became a man, he was God that created the world, but he became flesh and dwelt among us. He hung out with us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you see that link there from Psalm 40? Now we see when he actually comes to earth, it is true that he was full of grace and truth. Just by hanging out with him, you would have learned, you would have realized, man, this guy is so full of grace. Everything he says is about God's faithfulness and God's loving kindness towards me. And truth, he was also full of truth. He knows everything about me. He knows how terrible I am. He knows all that I hide. He knows all that has happened to me. He is full of truth, yet he is also full of grace, and that is a weird combination. Because usually we think of someone being full of truth as just being mean because they know that we stink. And they tell you, you stink. And we say, I don't like being around you because you point out my smell. But he was full of grace also, which means every word that he said was encouraging us to receive God's love and God's forgiveness and God's mercy. He was constantly, he was truthful. He said, yeah, you guys stink, but God loves you. And God is doing something for you right now. Not only does Jesus know everything about you, gulp, (laughs) but he also has infinite grace for you. Cheer. He can make you truly good inside and out by the power of his grace. And it's the inside that really matters. You know, inside where your heart is, that's where he does his greatest work of grace. By the way, Speaking of hearts, what does a man call his girlfriend who he met on Twitter? His tweet heart. (laughs) Uh, Matthew 12, 35. See, the work of grace happens in the heart. In the heart. Does the law ever go into your heart? It doesn't. The law is outside of your body. Even if you ground it up and ate it, it would not go into your heart. Even if you read it and even if you try to keep it, it doesn't go into your heart. And see, the problem is our heart is where the problems lie in our, in our lives. So look what he says here. Jesus says, a, a, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. Okay, guys. So for us to speak of his grace, we need to have his grace in our hearts. We cannot just know it in our minds. And we can't fake it. 
You can't fake grace. It must spring up like a fountain of life. And so here's the question. Do you have this grace in your heart? Self-assessment time. Do you have this grace in your heart? Have you prayed prayers like, God, I need you? From the heart, have you said, God, I need you? From the heart, have you said, God, please give me your grace? From the heart, have we prayed, help me to know how much I need you? Help me to know how reliable you are. Help me with your grace. Those prayers, you can fake them. You bet, you can absolutely fake them. But God knows what's fake, right? Because he's full of truth. He, he knows what's in the heart. So the question is, do you have this grace in your heart? Grace changes hearts. That's where we drink deeply of God's love and God's faithfulness is in our hearts. I can tell you all about God's love and faithfulness in your mind, but it, if it doesn't travel the 18 inches from up here over to here in this general area, it's never going to make a big difference in your life. And what happens when we drink deeply of his love and his faithfulness and his grace? Well, Luke chapter 4, verse 22 tells us. He says, so all bore witness to him. All the people who saw Jesus agreed and they marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? So they're like, this guy is absolutely incredible. I thought he was just a man. But they're kind of saying, this, this guy has too much grace to just be a man. Jesus was so full of gracious words that people were amazed with everything he said. Jesus was known for always talking about the free love and undeserved favor of God, especially when people didn't deserve it. Just read through the Gospels and see what Jesus says to all the sinners. You know what he gives them? Grace. And whenever he comes across someone who was a religious person who thought they didn't need God's help, they thought they were righteous, he had different kinds of words for them. He brought the law into their lives because they needed to be humble. They needed to have grace in their hearts, and they didn't. Religious people were the problem in the day. He gave grace, especially when people didn't deserve it. He gave grace, especially when people were bad. He gave grace, especially when people were failures and messed up. And all of that is tremendously good news as I look around our church. Amen. Because no matter what face we want to put out there to the world, we are tremendously messed up. Guilty, broken, sinful. And I hope that we never change that kind of attitude and exchange it for, you know, we've, we've gotten, we're starting to figure stuff out. I think we're better than that church. I think we're better than those people. I hope we never go across that bridge, become those type of people. But 
keep our humility. Jesus always had a word of love and provision for those who were in need and empty. He always forgave those who knew they were unforgivable. Do you think you're unforgivable? I hope so. Because that's right where we need to be. That's where God's grace meets us. Jesus never told me, I told you so. Did he ever tell that to you? No. Or, you know, you got what you deserve. He doesn't say that. And what did it cost him to offer me this full grace? It cost him everything. He was rejected and abandoned on the cross. He tasted the fire of hell that we all deserved. And the wrath of God that rightly should have fallen on us, he took that for us. And so we love him. Not because he tells us to. Not because the law tells us we have to, but because he first loved us. And his love produces a response of love. Did you know that? And this is what is so messed up about legalism. You're telling me that love does not produce love back? You're telling me that if you love someone deeply, there's a spider falling in the middle of my view. <laughs> I do not love that spider. <laughs> he was real tiny, but it was like right in your my line of sight. That was creepy. Araña de muerte. Okay, we'll run away. I have no idea what I was talking about. Oh, love produces a love response, okay? If I tell you, you have to love me, does that make you want to love me? No. But yeah, you can't force love, right? You cannot force it. Force love is called rape, and that's certainly not what God wants, right? But love produces love, and God truly loves us. And he says, I'm just going to love you because I love you. I'm going to love you because I'm good. You're never going to deserve it. You're never going to earn it. And I could never love you more if you did everything right for the rest of your life. I'm not going to love you one bit more than I love you right now. And if you fail every moment from now till the day you die, I'm not going to love you one bit less than I love you right now. You can tell me that doesn't have a, a, a response welling up in your heart of, dang, God is good. Grace is real. And that's what I want. And that's what I hope for. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that means encouragement, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Now, this verse is not simply about cussing. So sometimes when 
we want to confront someone on cussing, someone will pull this verse out and say, see, look, the Bible says don't cuss. But what this verse is really about is what is coming out of the heart. Paul says you can tell what's coming out of the heart by whether it's encouraging and edifying and giving grace to the people. Paul is saying, speak smarter, not harder. Instead of giving people rules, give them love. Give them God's love and free grace. Let your words to others carry the message of God's love and grace. You see, the law, guys, the Ten Commandments, it can speak for itself. Have you ever met someone that felt like you needed to remember what the Ten Commandments were every single day? You needed to remember what your responsibilities were every single day and all that you needed to do every single day. The law can speak for itself. It has no problem telling us that we fail to measure up. It has no problem telling us that we should be damned to hell. That's what the law says. That's if all things were just right, that's where we would be going. But grace makes things unfair. He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us his mercy. Grace can rescue the worst people. Grace can save a wretch like me. And grace requires no payment from us. Us. We just ask. That's where the K was. We just ask for his grace. There's no payment you need to make. There's no sacrifice you need to give. But what if I don't know what to say? What if I'm a new believer myself? How in the world can I say something that will help somebody else? Colossians 4, 6 helps us when it says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The message of God's grace is like salt to our hearts and lives. It's salt has a healing uh, ability, okay? So when we speak grace, when we tell, tell people about God's grace, it's healing and life-giving to their heart. And he says, our speech should always be with grace. And I'm guilty of not letting all my speech be seasoned with salt and with grace. Sometimes I feel like they just need law. But I'm trying to learn to be more consistent in giving grace to people who need it. Trying, that's right. You caught it, good job. <laughs> Being mindful of the continuing work of Jesus in sanctification, not not what people need to do, but what Jesus has already done. Having my hope set on Jesus, not on people, and not on myself and my own words of wisdom, but casting all our care upon Jesus, calling everyone else to drink of his grace, because there's a lot of tired and thirsty people in this world. A lot of people that need life, need help. 
need God's grace. In Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, verse 21, verse 6, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Then he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. That's basically how the Bible concludes, is saying, guys, God's grace is a fresh, cool, life-giving water break to all who have been slaving away under the law, banging their heads against the wall. Father, we pray that you would help these things to go from our brains and our minds down into our hearts. God, that you would save us all the way to our will. Our very will can be transformed to desire what you desire, to want what you want. And God, we can't do that ourselves. All we can do is confess that we are not righteous. We are not perfect. And sometimes we desire self selfish things. But God, we look to you and we ask for your grace and your spirit to transform us. We confess that we need to be transformed. And Lord, I praise you for being so full of grace and truth. And of that fullness, we have all received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, a never-ending supply of your goodness and favor all of it which we did not earn and we could not ever deserve, all of it a free gift. Lord, we want to drink deeply in our very heart this morning of your goodness and grace. Help us to be wise and to be consistent in looking to your grace, not to forget about it moment by moment, but to cast all our cares upon you, for you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, let's all stand and worship the Lord. Communion is available if you want to celebrate his life and uh, rejoice. And if you need any prayer, I'll be right here up front if you want to come pray with me.